You're listening to Festival Grass. A podcast diving into the business and culture of the music festival world. With your hosts, Mario. And Shanae. Well, welcome everybody to the newscast in this week's edition. Diplo partners with TikTok to host a live meditative experience for Mental Health Awareness Day. Half of music fans welcome digital concerts with open arms, according to new study. New study finds venues at risk of business failure in Toronto. Music festivals plan for phased return in 2021 after COVID wipeout. But first, Ontario investing $9 million to help make local events and festivals safe. The Ontario government is making an investment of $9 million in an effort to safely reconnect Ontarians with their communities by supporting municipalities and event organizers across the province during COVID-19. The new Reconnect Festival and Event Program will maintain public safety requirements and give people the opportunity to safely reconnect with their communities through various innovative experiences, such as online and drive through events. Mario, what are your thoughts on this new initiative? Well, this is local to us, so I'm very thankful. What first comes to mind is that the last few episodes, we've been talking about cries out to government in the plea for support for the artist community and the musical community. So I think this is exactly spot on. And I'm glad that Canada is active in this regard. I mean, look, we're going into winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. So our festival season is over, but it seems like this is preparing uh, not just for what it's going to look like in the winter months for our particular neighborhoods, but what may be something that we can look forward to in the spring and the summer of next year, which is that there is got to be some serious government support here. I have a quote by Lisa McLeod, Minister of Heritage and Sport, Tourism and Culture Industries at Ontario Place here that says COVID-19 had an unprecedented and devastating impact on our local festivals. Programs like this funding could help us adapt and reimagine ourselves until we can get back on the street in front of millions again in the future. I mean, this is what we all want. We want to get back to normal. And if the governments don't support the infrastructure that has been able to provide an immense amount of jobs and entertainment to the populace of any region anywhere in the world, that's going to be more detrimental, I think. Yeah, I think it's a really great opportunity to invest in festivals because often arts and, and music festivals can get grants from the government. So now understanding how COVID has affected all these events going into 2021, they're providing us with opportunities to pay for these alternative experiences. The fact is the engine of entertainment and the music industry and everybody that it employs needs to be kept going. That is essential in my opinion. And this is a great uh, step in the right direction here. Okay, half of music fans welcome digital concerts with open arms, according to new study. So live streaming may be the music industry's hottest trend in 2020, but a new study from MRC Data, a division of Billboard's parent company, outlines just how impactful the new performance medium has been in adapting to this year's global pandemic. Based on a survey of fans' behaviors, attitudes, and preferences, the study doesn't only define live streaming's current success, but highlights its resounding potential for growth moving forward. For instance, although 47% of music listeners see virtual concerts as a necessary step for the industry, 
the majority of those sampled are yet to break the ice and attend a digital performance. So you might wonder, what does this all mean? If you want to get an idea of the trajectory of this digital boom, here are some figures. With top artists earning upwards of $1 million currently per live stream show, former senior Sony Music executive Thomas Hesse, who launched streaming service DreamStage in August, thinks that concert live streaming will become a $6 billion industry within the next three years. Pandora co-founder Tim Westergen, who launched sessions at the end of April, says that estimates the current value of the business at around $1 billion, with the potential to grow to the tens of billions within three years. He sees live streaming not only as a temporary replacement for touring, but an expansion of it that can make it more widely accessible, estimating the market could eventually, eventually grow in value to five or ten times that of the roughly $30 billion in pre-pandemic live concert business. That seems like an astronomical number. Wow, I, I'm really shocked. I think that on one end, you know, you can, you, you have the opportunity for different styles of sponsorships where you can actually track that analytical data so much easier. So in that sense, because it's all online, depending on what platforms you build or you buy to track that, it's all in one place. So I can see them making a profit in that sense, but saying that they could make five to 10 times more in revenue just going virtual, I I suppose expenses are lower than putting on a live event, but are you going to get the same amount of people willing to pay the same amount of money or are you reaching a broader audience and paying less money and that's how you generate that revenue? So it, it's an interesting subject. I guess as I formulated that through my head, I, I can see now, yeah, they could make a lot of money, but I don't know. I still don't like the idea of this replacing live events. If many companies felt they'd have a larger profit off of virtual events, that they might all just go virtual in the future. It sounds unfathomable that live virtual concerts and festivals could make $150 billion a year. But we're talking in the future, you know, 10 years from now. But because the ball is was rolling and now is in full speed forward. I mean, this is a legitimate direction that these industries are going in. The Internet's like the universe. It just keeps on expanding. So people who, who don't have it today will have it tomorrow, will have it in 10 years. Their children will have it. It'll just keep growing. So we're, if we're talking about the potential for reach, that's certainly there. And if we're talking about that versus the reality of a physical landscape where you need to go travel to a concert, you need to go travel to a festival in order to spend your money for it. And then there's all those costs that those festivals or events are incurring that take away from the bottom line and the profit margin. When you look at it in that sense, I mean, it's certainly... First of all, the reach is bigger because people don't have to leave their homes. And then the profit margin can be larger because the expenses are down and the revenue, the, the cost per acquisition of customer is way lower. So you're making huge money if you can get to these people, if they actually have the technology to reach you. Now you can get it through your phone. You can get it through your laptop. You can get it through your desktop. You can go to someone's house. You can throw a virtual party. So I'm thinking in terms of the reality of what's being said here, I think it will work. Now, last week we talked about the fact that the gaming industry is merging with the music festival virtual world. And it's a perfect Vegas style marriage where you wake up one morning and you're together and you've got rings on your finger, but but you're not going to break up because it works financially. And then we talked about Tomorrowland's 3D green screen virtual bonanza and then Burning Man's VR multiverse and all these other interesting things that have been popping up. Just to explain a little bit about the evolution, even within this year of the virtual possibilities, if you will, there's this show that went 
event online called the Bang Bang Con held by K-pop band BTS. That was over the summer where more than 750,000 viewers tuned in from 107 countries. So, and the tickets were being sold for 20 to $35 US each. And viewers could follow the show from six camera angles, sitting in virtual rooms as they were styled to fit the songs being performed. Now, the band is having another stream on October 10th and 11th, and that's going to be a behind the scenes of that event. And then the band is going to perform the equivalent of an offline concert spiced up by augmented reality and other tricks they're going to pull. But the tickets for that are going to be 40 to $90. So they know that they got almost a million viewers on their last show and they're raising the price. They're raising the ticket price, Shanae. This is the power of what they're seeing. They're seeing the demand. They know that for the next year, people are going to be at home. The time is now for these virtual events. Listen, last Thursday, Dutch DJ Oliver Heldens held a one-hour show hosted across six different TV channels where he appeared as characters in shows ranging from a game show host to a cooking show host to a boxing match and more. This is just insane. People are getting creative. The time is now for these virtual landscapes. This is a bonanza. It's definitely exciting. And I think that this band hosting their concert knows how to play the game because if these attendees were going to the actual concert, they could be spending 100 to $400, if not more, on a ticket alone. And so now they can pay, you know, $40. And to them, they're like, wow, that's a steal. I would, I, you know, that's so inexpensive compared to what I would have paid. So you have to know how to capture that audience first and then reel them in. Absolutely. And listen, there is a sobering fact to all of this because we're talking about already successful artists in the world that are capitalizing on all of these trends and these movements in, in the virtual landscapes. But online concerts and all their forms, whether live streams or virtual reality events, will help plug a whole form during the pandemic. But only 39% of artists count touring as a measure of success. But according to MIDIA research report released last month, it is down from 50% in 2009. So even less people are counting on success in touring. And they're asking themselves, this streaming for us as artists that weren't making enough money doing touring is not giving us a living wage when we're entering this audio streaming world. So there is this sort of sad fact that not everyone's going to be a winner. And we might have to have a deep dive in this when we talk about the music industry and the music around music festivals and the DJs within that and the artists within that and how they're going to make money in all of this and whether it's realistic for most of them. That's all something that we look forward to diving in deep. One thing I would say to our audience is that if you're attending virtual events right now for the next few months to smaller DJs, local DJs, and they have a donation page, if you can spare $5, $10, $15, do it. Donate to them. If you enjoyed that show, contribute to them and show them that you want to keep seeing content because Mario said not everybody is in a position to sustain these virtual events themselves. And if you want to keep seeing them, we got to support them. 100%. Would you like to be on the show if you or someone you know is a journalist with a relevant article topic or can speak to a story we have covered? Please click or forward the guest sign up link in the show notes. We'd love to have you on. Don't be shy. Dark days for Toronto's live music venues. A new study finds venues at risk of business failure. This study measures the economic and cultural impact of Toronto's live music venues. And this was released this week at a virtual news conference by the City of Toronto and Canadian Live Music Association. Our Toronto Mayor, John Tory, stated, Toronto's live music venues contribute greatly to the city's culture, social and economic fabric. 
but these venues require critical support in the face of ongoing pressures that have been intensified by the COVID-19 pandemic. This long-awaited study has confirmed the vital role the industry plays in our city and the commitment to supporting them not only through this pandemic, but afterwards. This study, conducted by Nordicity, finds that live music venues in Toronto generate a total economic impact of $850 million annually, providing the equivalent of over 10,000 full-time jobs. The labor income generated by the operations of these music venues total $514 million every year. Since March 2020, Nordicity estimates the shutdown of music venues in Toronto, costing the city's economy $99 million in GPP, the equivalent of 1,480 jobs. Can you believe that, Mario? Wow, staggering numbers. You know, sometimes when you don't look at the numbers, at the metrics, it's really hard to quantify the impact of all of this. Uh, this is, we've been touching upon it and we had reports out of the UK. We've talked about Australia. We're all suffering the same thing here. And it's nice to see that Canada is coming up with ways of trying to save this industry. At least the research is there for policymakers to prioritize this because it needs to be prioritized. Look, Toronto is the fourth largest city in North America. In North America, we're a global leader in technology and finance and film and music and culture. I mean, you name it, we're, we're there. We rank. So it needs to be valued in that way. Look, there's a quote here by Tracy Jenkins, the operator of a Lula Lounge here in Toronto. And she says, the ecosystem of creators, enterprises, and service providers these venues support is linked not only to our thriving local economy, but is at the heart of the cultural life of our proudly diverse city. This is a heartbeat that needs to be kept on life support until things can get back to normal. And listen, it's not just us. Last week, we were talking about Carl Cox and Calvin Harris snapping back at the government for being for, for just making some insensitive comments towards this sector of industry, this musical and live events industry. I think this is great. I'm actually worried because I think there's some red tape in here. I think there are politics involved. We're going to find out whether the arts are really supported that deeply in Canada. In Ontario, the conservative governments have been stripping the arts over the years. The only place in Canada that really has been preserving the arts and funds them without question is Montreal, our province of Quebec, our French sector. So I hope that this is a stepping up of Canada's most powerful province to really support live music and the industry as a whole. This needs to be reflected the world over. It's certainly a world issue. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say to anybody who who thinks, you know, music and music events and music venues are not essential to people's well-beings or just not essential to the economy, I just politely would say get bent because $850 million a year to the economy is definitely a high number. Absolutely. I know the fact for you, Sinead, in 2019, 107th thousand individual artists performed at venues in Toronto alone. I said 107,000. 107,000, yeah. Wow. Our city is thriving. Well, was. Was, yes. Fourth largest city in North America. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to our Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. Music festivals plan for phased return in 2021 after COVID wipeout 
thermal scanners, interactive wristbands that vibrate to mark a lack of social distancing, and rapid on-site testing are all being considered by music festivals to ensure the 2021 season goes ahead despite the COVID-19 crisis. We discussed this in terms of creating a bubble for music festivals. So as organizers plan for next year, they are navigating these complications with a focus on safety for staff and ticket holders and creating as much flexibility as they can with potential coming restrictions. And that puts a huge stress on insurance policies. Fiona Stewart, director of Green Man Festival, says insurance is going to be much more expensive than it would normally be. I think the government is going to help, but they're not going to subsidize or underwrite it. Another quote here, Lisa Meyer, the founder of Supersonic Festival in Birmingham, UK, predicts that next summer we'll see a phased return, in quotes, for events with hybrid models, in quotes, that that feature some digital elements bridging the gap between 2020's virtual season and a return to normal in 2022 or 2023 with physical events. I mean, that is sobering. Not delivering, she goes on, in some form isn't an option for us. As a small festival, we have the ability to be fleet of foot and opportunistic. So we will reshape the festival within whatever boundaries we have to work with. Actually, the way that they describe these hybrid events or or had mentioned hybrid events, I almost pictured what you were talking about in the sense of hosting smaller events at venues that are like streaming the festival content. So I think that we're looking at 2021 without having festivals the way that we know them and coming up with creative ways to a better festival future. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I bring this article up because certainly we've touched on a bunch of these stories and this is a fluid rolling landscape here because we're just going to keep updating it as we go along and speak about it weekly as developments occur. But one of the things that I've been particularly keeping my eye on is Coachella. Why? Because it is not only one of the preeminent festivals in North America and potentially the world in terms of size and magnitude and popularity, but it's also one of the earliest festivals in the festival season in the Northern Hemisphere. And this year, they were one of the first that had to postpone and they postponed to the fall. And then from the fall, they postponed to the spring. And recently, as as recent as this week, reports came out that they were postponing to fall of 2021. And now there's contradictory reports. It's almost as if someone leaked the story and then the PR team of Coachella came out and, you know, kind of snuffed it out and said, no, 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 nothing's official. You know, we haven't really decided. So they're struggling with this. And the reason I'm keeping my eye on this is because, yes, Shanae, I believe this was my prediction. This is still my prediction that the way forward for very successful large events such as Coachella, Tomorrowland, Electric Forest, EDC is creating some sort of physical relevant event next year if they're going to keep afloat financially from a business model perspective. However, they need to keep that small, make it safe, use all of these testing measures to make sure that anyone entering the bubble is COVID free. But in order to make up for the loss of revenue of a large festival, they need to create these online experiences. And this is the challenge. I don't think Coachella, because they didn't put out any virtual landscape this year, I don't think they're ready. I don't. I think they're struggling. They're either resisting, very stubborn, 
or they don't quite understand what's happening and they just want to stick to their guns. They want to be old school. They just want to wait till they can have their physical festival. I think they rely a lot on it. We're going to dive deep in some of our episodes about why some festivals are going to be able to succeed in the tag team of the virtual and physical festivals. But that's one that I'm keeping my eye on. Gordon Masson, the editor of IQ magazine, which produces an annual report on European music festivals, he said that the biggest challenge for festival organizers heading into 2021 is uncertainty. With doubt hanging over when restrictions would lift, many festivals are trying to embrace technology to make them safer, including these interactive wristbands that we talked about for crew members that vibrate if they move close to each other or considering the double test and trace system, having attendees get a PCR test a week before the event, plus a temperature scan and rapid test on site. And then he finishes off by saying, festivals could be utilized by governments to trial certain safety products or procedures as they are in effect temporary cities. What do you think about that, Sinead? I think that they were slyly throwing in a sponsorship plug when they said that. (laughs) But honestly, I actually like this idea about the bracelets. I think that they would have to somehow be programmed to not buzz when you're in contact with your circle. Like if you've registered your wristbands together as a group kind of thing. In a pod, I think it's also a really great way to do COVID tracing, COVID tracking. So if for some reason somebody in that that spent too much time close together with you, then and they contracted COVID, let's say a week or two weeks after, and they like logged into their wristband and they set that they had COVID, then it would notify other people. So it's a great way, like the way that our apps in Ontario work for COVID tracing. It's a great opportunity to add that in as an extra safety implementation. This RFID technology has been around for a long time now, and I've been to festivals where it's been implemented in order to scan you in and out of the festival center from the campground, and then as well being used to pay at the vendor spots, which I think is the future. The safety of it, the amount of programmability that you can do for it, including these kinds of COVID parameters that that can be implemented, I think it's a great way forward and is definitely going to happen. Now, I want to finish off, Sinead, by saying that as a server lining, everything that we've spoken about is a little dire here. But in all of this, there are many event organizers that might have to actually hire domestic talent over international talent in these coming festivals of the new year. And they're going to mean, unfortunately, have to book at the last minute because there's these questions of whether things are going to be shut down or whether things are going to go forward. But I think that could be a boost to local musical talent, which can get an opportunity they may not have gotten should headliners come in from all around the world and take their spot. Absolutely. Diplo partners with TikTok to host a live meditative experience for Mental Health Awareness Day. Why? Well, October is World Mental Health Month and October 10th was Mental Health Awareness Day. Diplo has partnered with TikTok in a one-hour meditative experience with Secular Sabbath. This event drew from Diplo's Coachella events, as well as the live streams he's been performing during the global lockdown period, raising funds for the Jed Foundation, an organization that empowers teens and young adults with the skills and support to grow into healthy, thriving adults. Mental health is super important to me. It's something that as a teenager and in my early 20s, I didn't really think was Well, I guess as a teenager, I didn't really think was too important. And as I became an adult, realized the effects of my life (laughs) and how important mental health awareness is. So I really think it's so wonderful that Diplo has partnered with TikTok and that they put on this event and just are spreading awareness and also raising funds. Absolutely. Look, Diplo 
is, is he a DJ or is he a pop star? I think that's the question. He's done something that many DJs don't, which is to transcend from the dance world into the pop world. He's everywhere. Last year, he toured for 250 days. He's kind of like Steve Aoki, you know? These guys are dedicated to their craft. But I think Diplo is different in the sense that he's very much always been a collaborator. He's used his power of office, if you will, in the best case, in the best sense. And this is just another example of it where he's putting the weight of his talent and the weight of his achievements behind movements that matter. And you're right, Shanae, I think even now more than ever, the topic of mental health has to be firmly in the conversation with everything else that's going on in our world because people can face all sorts of challenges in their life. And when I've been, when I've gone to festivals, I've had conversations with people younger than me and people older than me. And it's amazing how many times that you notice that we're really all the same. Even if you don't understand someone's struggles, even if they don't understand someone's struggles, just being able to be there and have a conversation with them and not make them feel like it's wrong to have that conversation. I think that's the most important thing and it's underestimated and it needs to be out in the open. I will say one more thing about Diplo. He's a brand, right? That's that's definitely why I'm appreciative that he's putting his weight behind this movement. But there's this quote here with British Sri Lankan rapper MIA. He's quoted as saying, she was a game changer. She understood the idea of brand like I've never seen. Her label once told me she was 10% music and 90% attitude. That's what she sold. And this guy sells attitude and he sells the right kind. Great. I want to just point out, you mentioned that Diplo is a bit of a pop star right now. So while he released this partnership with TikTok, he's also released an full-length ambient music album. It is titled in Roman numericals MMXX which is 2020. So this year he has released an album that you could relax with and meditate with to feel better. Meditation is one of the coolest things. I always knew it was important. I resisted it for many, many years. I finally implemented it and I'm super thankful. It's calmed me. It's brought me in line with everything I ever wanted and made the dreams achievable. I think everyone needs to try it. There's a lot of great sources out there. And look, if you have an artist like Diplo creating meditation tracks, Come on, what's the excuse? You know, get on it, people. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on another week's Festival Grasp. Make sure to subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your chosen podcast collector, so you'll never miss us talking into your ears again. And while you're at it, if you find value in what we are discussing, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's like telling a friend about it, but better. And it gives us a chance in that big old world out there. I know we're just getting to know each other, but come on, show us some love. We're here for you. You're here for us. So let's do this thing. To sign up as an expert guest on the show, to leave us a question or message, or to jar tip your support, follow the appropriate links in the show notes. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. This podcast edited by GBA Recordings. For me, Mario. And Shanae. See you next time. Bye.